Welcome to another episode of Voice of the Humanities, or VOH for short. This podcast and all these podcasts are being sponsored by the very gracious people at Vectus Consulting. Vectus Consulting specializes in the sort of thing that we talk about on these podcasts, strengthening humanities programs in higher education. So check out Vectus Consulting if you're interested in strengthening your humanities program. VectusConsulting.org. V-E-C-T-I-S. VectusConsulting.org. Today, this podcast is going to be dedicated and about a very easy and powerful step you can take to increase the durability and the enrollment of humanities programs at your college or university. This can be done in the summer, so it's a good one to launch now in mid-June. And I know a lot of you are probably fed up working from home and are very anxious to get back in the classroom and be face-to-face with students, face-to-face with most of your colleagues and support staff. But this one can be done from home. It can be done on the road. It doesn't take um, a lot of face-to-face interaction to complete. What I want to suggest is a, a positive step forward for strengthening your humanities um, program is simple curriculum review. Uh, it sounds boring. Title itself sounds a little boring, curriculum review. But it's something that I did at time to time. And it's one of those things that I would do in the summer. And it might take me into the fall or even Christmas break to make um, strides towards it. But then it would really sort of bloom for me later. And it's one of these really nice delayed reactions, something that you can put just a minimal amount of time into four or five hours tops, get it through committee if there's changes that need to be done. And then the results come later and there are things you can look back on and say, yeah, I'm pretty glad I did that. So what I'm talking about is just simply opening up your curriculum and taking a look at it. We spend an awful lot of time down in the weeds on our curriculum, understanding the next steps for our students that we're advising understanding the role of assessment in our curriculum and making sure we're checking all those boxes properly, circling back with our assessment feedback, integrating that into the courses, looking at our students' reviews and integrating those in the courses. But to just step back for a moment, take a look at your curriculum is a really important step that I used every four or five years uh, at McMurray College when I was teaching there. And it really did an awful lot of of positive uh, things for the program. Our curriculum is often ignored and it grows old. So you've got this set curriculum. It was probably a challenge to get set in the first place. If you have colleagues working with them, um, if you have a committee structure that is cumbersome to move it through the committee structure and onto the faculty floor, if that's the way curriculum changes are made at your institution, maybe you need higher um, echelon approval, provost, something like that. It is cumbersome. I mean, you tend to check that box off and say, wow, we did that or somebody else did that or the previous senior faculty in my program did that and it's been on cruise control ever since. 
that can be dangerous setting that curriculum on cruise control and being satisfied with just this sort of flatline curriculum that you have can be dangerous it certainly doesn't allow for growth in any sense uh, of that word and that's what we're after we need to grow these programs and we need to make sure they have a really strong role in your college so uh, sometimes your curriculum was built by others you inherited it and maybe they're still around the senior faculty are still around or maybe they're gone um, and you inherited this faculty uh, or this um, curriculum from these faculty members sometimes curriculum was done in a hurry um, the program needed these changes and it was put in and away we go and maybe it didn't get a lot of thought about how it integrates into the larger role of the college or how it maybe is needs to be a strategic piece of your program to align yourself for student retention and most importantly i think with curriculum revision to align yourself for positive student growth in the future um, committees could have made up your curriculum in the past it could be a series of very long compromises the way the curriculum looks um, you might not even know the history of it or if you do you may take a moment and reflect on the history and say yeah that was a committee decision and just out of pure um, political expedience we set this curriculum forward this way we wrote this curriculum this way and that's what we have now and i always wanted to come back and revisit it but i never got the chance to curriculum can also support old strategic plans and strategic objectives that were put in place in your program you may have had a very strong leader that set forth a very systematic and organized strategic plan for your program 10 years ago. And that curriculum could have been put in place to align with that strategic plan. Philosophy programs where I spent my time were very different 10 years ago than they are now. And that could have been building upon the decade before that. So that may be the case with your curriculum. It may be aligned with an old strategic plan that is simply not gonna allow for positive growth for your program. And the research has the research changed now uh, what does research in higher education reflect uh, for curriculum design especially for the humanities so what i'm going to suggest is that this summer you take some time it's all online right it's all there so just pull it up take some time and read your curriculum take a look at the course offerings that you have in your particular program you can do one of two things after that. You can sit back and try to read it from a student's perspective, and you could sit back and try to read it from another faculty member's perspective or a administrator's perspective and see what you would think. If I was a student, what would I think about reading the curriculum list here? Graduate students often see the curriculum list like a Christmas present. They're gonna open the catalog for fall and see what wonderful courses they can take because they love the material. And a certain percentage of your undergraduate students in your major are gonna be the same way. They're gonna love the material and want to see what's new. But you've gotta be looking at the larger picture to keep the humanities thriving. It's gotta satisfy that group obviously, and you know it will, but it's also got to appeal to a larger market. You may want to get some, uh, just some ex quick external feedback. 
reach out to a recent graduate and just ask them, you know, here's what I'm doing. What did you think of the curriculum when it was there, when you were there? Reach out to a current student and say, what do you think? You know, give me your honest opinion, et cetera. A faculty member too, or especially a colleague from another institution that's either different than yours. Um, so they may have a fresh perspective on what your curriculum looks like uh, to look at that. So you can take those notes, you can take that in and you can see what kind of changes others are recommending or um, things that they like, uh, of course, but we always tend to focus on the negative feedback. And this is sort of an exercise in taking that, the negative parts of what we have and, and making your curriculum better. I think you should have others read it, especially internal and external people. You should have other people take a look at the curriculum and see what um, they're experiencing with your history curriculum, or if you're a literature professor or a um, philosophy professor, what their reaction to it is. The, the, for example, the curriculum I inherited in 2005 when I inherited the philosophy program at the private college I taught at was very much a very traditional philosophy curriculum. We had intro to ethics, intro to logic, intro to philosophy. Then we took the students through the historical chronology of philosophy, ancient, modern, 19th and 20th century, contemporary. And then we had our smorgasbord of specialized areas. And some of those classes were very old because philosophers had come and gone at my institution. I didn't teach Hegel. I knew enough about Hegel because I'm a, a, I did my dissertation on Kierkegaard, but Hegel doesn't belong in the catalog anymore because I'm ill-equipped to teach Hegel. Had the college survived and I would have moved on at some point, the next philosopher certainly probably wouldn't have wanted Camus as heavily represented in the catalog as Camus was at McMurray because of my area of specialization. So those are some of the things you need to, to look for and be aware. Another really important thing too is have conversations with programs that will feed your classes with lots of students. That was a really, really important move that I made in keeping my philosophy program alive. I sat down and had conversations with nursing professors and with psychology professors to see what kind of bioethics course I should be teaching. I didn't want to act like I was serving them. I wanted to be in a partnership with the nursing program and I wanted to be in a partnership with the psychology program and see what kind of courses helped them the most. And one of the really important things that came out of that conversation was the nursing program laid out and pled with me to teach these classes at particular times. They really wanted their nurses to get an uh, ethics for healthcare professional, professionals course from a philosopher. They got, a, they got a lot of their ethics training and pre-professional training through the nursing department, which meant codes of ethics. They wanted a philosopher to teach them the finer points of ethics and the meta points of ethics. And what came out of that conversation was we can fill your ethics classes with students if you teach it at these times, because that's when our nurses are free and they only had two electives in their rotation and they wanted them in there. That's just an example of philosophy. History could do the same thing. English could do the same thing. Those conversations are really valuable. 
find your feeder programs, find what they want, establish times, and set those on the course, and you'll you'll have very strong enrollment in there. Um, meet with other faculty outside your program. So that's that's the second point here. Revise your uh, curriculum. Take a very strong look at your curriculum. Get some external feedback from other people about your curriculum, and then go out, hit the road. You can do it by Zoom in the summer. Prepare them. Tell them, this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about offering a history of medical professionals, if I'm a history professor, or a history of nursing. And I want to see if this is a valuable program for your nurses, for instance, or if you have a really strong criminal justice program like we did, history of law enforcement, history of the FBI, history of the CIA. Would your students be interested in this? Would your faculty members like to see this as an elective? Perfect. Let's shape it that way. What time's good? I love teaching at 10 a.m. Well, they probably do too. So they probably put their high demand courses at 10 a.m. And then you won't get any inflow from those criminal justice majors. What you need to do is maybe teach at four, maybe teach at nine, but you'll get students in there and that'll be very much worth your time because those numbers are very, very important. And the final point I want to make, do the course names in your catalog make sense? Will a 19-year-old understand what the course is about? I think other professions are better at it than philosophy. When I stepped back and took a look at my catalog at times, there were things that were really clear to me, courses that were labeled that were really clear to me what it was, but a 19-year-old would have absolutely no idea. A lot of faculty in other areas would have no idea what that course was about, and it just kills your enrollment. We had a, a class on the books called Phenomenology. I know what that is. Any well-trained philosopher knows all about what phenomenology is. How many accounting professors are going to know what phenomenology is? How many faculty members from very technical fields are going to know what phenomenology is? And how interesting is that going to be for a 19-year-old when they see it in the catalog? It's an important step to take about renaming these courses sometimes. So that's what I wanted to discuss today. I want to discuss the power of taking a moment in the summer, stepping back and making some changes your, for your curriculum that will pay off down the road a year from now or two years from now and taking that step. Again, I thank you for your time and I want to thank Vectis Consulting, V-E-C-T-I-S, VectisConsulting.org is the sponsor of these programs. And in conversation with the folks at Vectus, these issues come up. How can we help strengthen the humanities program? Have those people take a very close look at their curriculum. Thank you.